Miles More Madness is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. I'm headed to cover Kansas-Milwaukee tonight at Allen Fieldhouse. I'm still getting in free of charge somehow, but if you want to join me, you should probably head over to GameTime and save yourself some money on tickets. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. I didn't know this, but shares a lot in common with Bill Belichick. You know, Bill Belichick recently was uh, caught once again, I think, filming sideline plays. And Tim Miles, you are also a thief. I see that you have been stealing um, student cheat, student section cheat sheets lately or in, in the past few years. Is that correct? First of all, you can't you can't just leap to that assumption. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, all I said. Help. Just I like said on national way. TV, by hook or crook, we came up with a sheet. Every game. <laughs> Every game. Um, and uh, I will say this. I wouldn't limit it to just the Bengals or uh, anybody else. You know, It might be further than the zone too. It could have been a few other places. I, I had very good managers. Very good managers. Oh, so the, you're throwing the managers under the bus. Nope. My ops guy, uh, Greg Eaton, who worked for Rick Pitino, um, he knew how to run those managers. Let's just put it that way. Not that I'm suggesting that one of my staff members, you know, was culpable in this, but. Um. <laughs> and Greg Eaton, what was Greg Eaton's uh, nickname? Uh, well, Esos is what I called him. Esos, but no, what was his, his Twitter, the Twitter feed for him? Oh, tweeting Greg Eaton. <laughs> yeah, he worked for yeah. Pizzino, huh? Was he a, was he a manager for Pizzino? Manager, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. If uh if you check out the athletic today, I got some good Rick Pitino stories in uh in my latest latest piece. But uh Tim, good, good to CJ Moore, this. never one to self promote or anything like that, yeah, folks. Yeah, Sorry. I gotta, gotta self promote, you know, if I'm not gonna, who is? Folks, um, if you can endure this first five minutes of CJ being CJ, we're gonna have a hell of a show. <laughs> Just hang in there. All right, so Tim, we're uh, we're gonna do this episode. I'm just gonna ask you some stuff. I got some help from from the Twitter people, as well as uh, you know my own noggin. I'm I'm gonna ask you some stuff that's on my mind. Uh, for, first thing I want to know is uh, I'm I'm sure you saw the twi- the video on Twitter of Travis Steele, um, Xavier coach, after they beat Cincinnati, going down going into an, a Xavier bar. Uh, has his son throw down a lot of cash on the bar, buying drinks for everybody. I want to know: Have you ever done that? Anything like that? While uh, while you've been no, I've never had my son pay for no, I've never had my son pay for one drink in my life. <laughs> but have you, have you <laughs> ever? Uh, have you ever well, celebrated um, in that way? I, first of all, you know, I think it's a way for Travis to 
uh, integrate and connect with fans that have been very supportive, and especially a coach in a new role taking over for a guy with the wherewithal of Chris Mack. Uh, I think it was a great move. I think it was a, a, a an excellent you know job to go down there with the masses and say, hey, I'm with you, love you, thank you for everything. We have certainly done all sorts of things. You know, I, I mean, I can name, uh, oh man, I mean, we, we've been in the student union handing out uh, schedules. We've uh, gone to the, you know, at CSU, they had a bar on campus and we just hung out in the bar and, um, uh, you know, made sure that people knew there was a big game coming up or whatever, bought t-shirts for guys, bought pizzas for guys. Uh, I mean, guys and girls, whoever. Uh, but the fans, usually the student fans, uh, and uh, and I think that those are great things to do. You see it all the time. Nico Medved's doing some of that. Craig Smith's doing a lot of that. Uh, both those guys are connecting with their fan bases because what you realize in a hurry is that uh, as a coach, the, I think the number one thing you have to do is convince your fan base that they can make a difference in winning and losing because they can. If you get a fan base – if you get a fan base that's ready to roll and and providing that energy, the players feed off it like crazy. Even when they don't have it every night, they'll say like, man, that was cool. You know, that crowd was great. And, and if you can get them going and whatever it takes to connect with them um, and that they know that you appreciate them, uh, I think you have to do. And, and I think Travis's, you know, uh, was right on point with what he did. And, and I've had a chance to see Xavier up close and personal. And, you know, that's a team that, Struggles scoring, not making outside shots right now. I don't know how much, as Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy told us, you know how much is that going to change? Probably not a lot by this time of year, but some. Uh, but trends are trends, and so for him to go out and and uh, and take care of a few cocktails for the folks, I think it was a great idea. Yeah, you you have uh, you know to give you some love. I think that's something you've always done well is connecting with your fans. Uh, you know, trying to drum up support. And I think it's some things that some coaches do overlook in a way that obviously they all want support, but you got to get a little creative. We, you know, we had a story on The Athletic recently about what Grand Canyon's done with trying to, um, you know, create an atmosphere there. And I mean, I, I know it's got to be like, let's say you're in a, you're in a place that's never really had fan support, um, you know, maybe a decent sized school, but doesn't get fan support, how hard is it to recruit in those situations? Because if you don't have people in the seats, like what kid is going to want to come play in front of an empty arena? Yeah, no doubt. My One of my biggest pet peeves was any time that we were trying to rebuild and we put out like a highlight tape or any kind of video. One, if we were getting smoked, I didn't want the score on there. <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> guy makes a big dunk and you're down 27 at Michigan State, yeah. big hairy yeah. deal, right? Get it off. Um, and second of all, if there was ever a, a shot, you know, um, so like I'd be yelling at our, our uh, video guys, like tighten the shot, dude, tighten the shot. <laughs> like I don't need the full bleachers <laughs> in view here because the upper half's empty right now. Yeah. We're trying to sell this thing. And those are conversations you never thought you'd had when I took Coach Al Borky at Mary College's uh, intro to coaching uh, at, uh, uh, in 1987. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you, you always, you always got it. That's that's something you've you've done well. So, uh, want to transition here to uh, Ohio State, the new Ken Palm number one. I I know how much you're paying attention to those rankings, and uh, I want to talk about the trajectory of uh, Chris Holtman because I I think it's kind of crazy. Like, here's a guy that was, um, you know, only the head coach of Butler because Brandon Miller. 
takes a, a leave of absence. Um, you know, he had obviously been a head coach before at, at Gardner Webb, but then gone to Butler to be an assistant. Um, and, you know, gets that job at, at Butler, does a really good job. Now he's at Ohio State. Um, you know, good good bump there to, to get that job. And what he's done there, they're, they're crushing it right now. Um, you know, good team last year, but they've they, they got a good recruiting class in. Um, you know, Caleb Wesson's made a jump. Um, they've probably, uh, to me, they've been the most impressive team in college basketball. Um, and I, I want to ask you, as somebody who's coached in the Big Ten against him, what, you know, what, what makes Holtman um, good in your opinion? And, uh, you know, what do you think of this team he's built? Okay. Did you know, first of all, where, where Chris Holtman went to college? Ooh, I, uh, I, I can, is it somewhere in the Dakotas? No. Okay. I do not. I do not. Why would you just say the Dakotas out of nowhere? Because I'm from South Dakota. You just yeah, yeah, I'm thinking maybe he's got, some, he's got some kind of uh, Dakota. That's as bad as Michael Che. This is as bad as Michael Che the other night on Saturday Night Live. So the state of South Dakota decides that they're going to crack down on meth. And it's uh, they have this thing, meth, we're on it, which, <laughs> like it or not, uh, I don't love I, I don't love being from South Dakota and that's being one of the things that, that you know, that we're trying to plug here. Uh, but when you look at this, you're like, uh, uh, it's on Saturday Night Live. And I'm like, oh, here it goes. South Dakota is going to get whacked. And what does Michael Che do? Writes a joke or one of his, you know, guys write a joke. You should hear North Dakota's uh, crack one. They just lop North Dakota and South Dakota together. That's unfair. First of all, I'm from South Dakota. I just worked <laughs> most of my adult life in North Dakota. There are two different things. And, um, but you know, it's not Buffalo commons up there, folks. It's a good spot, but Chris Holtman does have a Dakota connection in only one way, which is he played for Paul Patterson at Taylor of Indiana, the place of silent night, mm -hmm. as you well know. Yeah, yeah. And that's a cool tradition. Yeah. No, and guess who was one of his teammates? Yeah, Taylor. Uh, I no clue. John Gross, former head coach at Illinois. Wow! Wow! How about nice. that? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. Wild. So in nineteen in nineteen ninety one, when Chris Holtman was a player at Taylor University, Tim Miles, the assistant coach, and John Gross is a bench warmer. Tim Miles assistant coach at Northern State University, lost by one point in the second round of the NEI tournament in Kemper Arena in Kansas City. KC, let's go. Yeah. And we we wow. basically missed a layup damn game. And, and you're not so, so bitter, are you? Just at one guy, the guy that dropped the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, I'm not bitter. It was great. It was great. And and that's back in the days when I got to sit right behind their benches. And, uh, you know, so I watched Taylor uh, and Paul Patterson is tremendous small college coach for a long, long time. So, 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 and, and that, Don that, Meyer, to, of course, was it David Lipscomb? I want to interrupt you for a second because I think that Holtman is a great example of this. And you can speak to this, that there's so many great small, you know, small college coaches out there maybe coaches their assistants at bigger schools that never actually get a chance here's a guy that like you know kind of freak uh actually you know brandon miller unfortunately he he got sick and you know had to take a leave of absence but that doesn't happen like he might not he might still be an assistant at butler 
and and now he's got the number one team, you know, arguably the number one team in the country, best team in college basketball right now. So, um, you know, what what is it about him that that uh, that makes him so good? And, and and also, you can kind of speak to like how crazy it is that sometimes you know wh- who who gets their breaks and who doesn't. Yeah, you know what was interesting is that Chris uh, and my whole point with bringing up uh, Taylor of Indiana is Paul Patterson was a rock solid coach, ran very efficient offense and was very tough defensively, stingy defensively, hard to score against which is much like the Big Ten, right? And, and of course, Taylor in Indiana, it would make sense that they would be tailored, quote unquote, um, after like a Big Ten t- style school. So I think Chris was groomed that way from an early age. And and what I'm saying is his teams are very, very good defensively. It's just like anything you get um, is is hard to get. Like you, there's nothing easy. And I believe that the Big Ten is probably the most resourced and well-scouted and, and well pre- best-prepared league in the country, in my book, uh, just when I watch. Uh, and I think their numbers back that up a great deal. Uh, second of all, you know, he's had outstanding – when he's had excellent three-point shooting, he really gets it going. Those years that he doesn't – you know, like early last year, they weren't quite making as many threes. They were good, but they'd had a little struggle. And then I know they hit a whole bunch on us that uh, – uh, uh, at Nebraska to to win it, um, you know, on the road against us, which was a tough, tough loss for us. Uh, but they made like, oh boy, eight or nine threes, which they hadn't been making. And um, that's just a recollection. That's not a fact. But uh, when you look at that, uh, he, he he's just very smart offense, very efficient offense, uh, sees a mismatch, knows how to expose it. But really, I mean, you just know when that you're going to have to, you're going to have to run your plays, your counters, and your counters to the counters to try and get good shots against these guys. And you think he's kind of done, has he done a good job of maybe recruiting to who he is? Um, you know, you said, you mentioned the three point shooting, and and um, you know, obviously they're they're getting in some more shooters there. And and uh, do you think he's done a good job of kind of this is now his third year there, um, kind of realizing kind of guys he needs and going out and getting them? No doubt, no doubt about it. He. Um, uh, you know, he knows what works. And with Caleb Wesson as an anchor, I think the the centers in, with, with the – I think it's unique this year that there's five or six guys in the Big Ten that are excellent centers. And um, and then when you get that three-point shooting around them and then you put a playmaking guard like the freshman DJ Carton who's, you know, just kind of playing his role but is a big-time playmaker. Um, and then you've got C.J. Walker who's a more veteran guy. Uh, those two kind of point guards – with those wings that are making threes. And then, you know, Caleb Wesson goes out and decides to make three against Penn State. And Penn State's like, man, this is a machine. <laughs> I don't know what, you know, I mean, yeah. this is what it is, man. Take your yeah. beating and go home. Yeah. And I, I, I wrote about this a couple of years ago with, with Isaac Haas, where, like, I think that, you know, back in the day, um, you know, it's, all, it's almost the center position in the NBA has changed so much that you can get a guy to stick around a little bit longer um, at the center position in college basketball and can, can become such an advantage where, um, you know, it's the, the games are different. Like, 
you know, everybody thinks, okay, we're going small, yada, yada. And it has in college basketball. But at the same time, when you get a center like, like Wesson, who's obviously added the three-point shot and kind of modernized his game a little bit, um, but, you know, an, an Isaac Haas, a Yudoka Azabuke, those guys, even though they might not be able to guard on the perimeter as well, they're still such a – you know, you, you mentioned this the other day. It's, it's like an anchor to your offense when you can have a guy like that. Yeah, and I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the, the big guys are seeing how they have to develop to, to be the type of player they, they want to be. And, uh, and, and they know it takes time and the best place to do it where you're going to get the minutes and you're going to get the freedom to do it. And that's staying in school. And I think that's really helped the big 10 this year. I want to transition to another big guy, uh, you know, who had really big expectations coming to this year. Um, and Baylor, another program that, that had a really good weekend, like, you know, Ohio state, um, crushed Penn state. That was a huge win. Uh, Baylor got a really, really big win um, against against Arizona. One that that I correctly picked. Did, did, did you correctly pick that, Tim? Tim? Shut up, CJ. <laughs> All right, so uh, we'll get to uh, Tim's poor performance in the in the picks later this week. But uh, this this is a self promotion tour. You've already said subscribe to the Athletic and an article I wrote five times, dude. Like, I mean. I, I'm starting to worry about you. And now you're gloating about you get a no, couple I'm, picks I'm just, right. It's so early. <laughs> so early. Hey, I'm I'm uh I have to gloat here because I did well here. When I put it in print, I'm terrible. So so I can um <laughs> I feel for you because I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Spread. I was all really, really hard. You whipped me. All right. I was so mad, so, I was cursing at you. <laughs> so Scott Scott Drew's got a got an issue. They, he's got an awesome team. Um, really, really good perimeter. But coming into this year, Tristan Clark was expected to be one of his his best players. Uh, when he got hurt last year with the knee injury, he was leading the country in field goal percentage, um, averaging about 14 points a game. So big expectations for Tristan coming in this year. Um, and he's he's really, really struggled. Like if, if you've had a chance – I don't know if you've had a chance to watch them or not, but he, he's not moving great. Um, if you if you look at the numbers, he's averaging um, his offensive rating is sixty nine point three. You you know enough to know that's really bad. Um, Baylor's starting lineup zero point nine five points per possession, um, which includes him. And when you replace him with Mark Vital, who who you know would probably take his spot if if they started their best five players right now, they are scoring one point one. 1.14 points per possession. So threw a bunch of numbers at you. That's that's uh, according to Hoop Lens, which uh, for any coaches listening, great tool. Really, uh, really like that that site. But uh, so he's Scott Drew's kept him in the starting lineups and keeps giving him minutes. But he he did only play ten the other day. But my question for you, Tim, have you ever had a situation like that where a guy comes back from injury and you know you know it might be hurting your team in the short term, but you're trying to keep his confidence up and, and play in the long game? Well, first of all, CJ, I want to put uh, just one thing. So when you talk about lineups and hoop lens uh, and you say this lineup averages this many points, just so fans know, the number CJ put out there, if you played a regular first half or second half of basketball at 35 possessions, you're scoring over 40 points, which means you'd score 80-some for the game. And um, and that's really good numbers. You know, if you're going to score 80, you usually are winning unless you're just playing like a, you know, obstinate jerk you know so so as he gives you the 1.1 1. 1, 1. whatever 
just know that that lineup would be scoring like 40, 43 points and a half. And if you're uh, at 43 and your opponent's at 32 at half, which you know, you're, you're like, we're whipping them, you know? So that's a huge number. Okay. Um, getting back uh, uh, to our young guy, Tristan Clark, you know, 6'10", 245, uh, really uh, talented young guy. And as you alluded to early, terrific freshman year, uh, Better, you know, 14 games in his junior year was really had ridiculously better numbers, like all American type numbers. And this is his numbers really didn't change from, uh, you know, from preseason to the top teams. I mean, he was just good the whole time. And so you're like, wow, this kid's going to be really good. Now he's coming back. And two things. One is, you know, you don't want to cost the team anything. You know, you don't want to. You know, so you have to be careful. You have to, you never want a player to lose their job because of injury. You know, that's one thing as a coach in the old days, you always thought like, you know, the worst thing I can do is this kid gets hurt and then I just bury him and the other kid starts playing good and now he lost his spot. Well, you know, some of that's reality in life, but part of that is too, is that it's not the kid's fault that he probably got hurt, you know, unless he's out skateboarding and something stupid going on. Um, but, but, you know, Baylor's pretty good. I mean, they're seven and one right now. Uh, they got a big game with Butler coming up. But I, I think so you have to, my point is, I think you have to live with some of that to get him up to the speed of the game. But you don't certainly don't want it to cost you a game. And, and you want that young guy to know you believe in him. Uh, and if he's struggling, he probably knows he's struggling. And so you just keep trying to find ways to put him in his most comfortable place now. Um, so the other thing you have to consider is, you know, uh, I always think of that rap song. We started at the bottom, blah, blah, blah. You know, look where we are now or whatever. So this is a flip position for him. He was at the top. He had worked his butt off for years and years and years. And he's at the top of his game. Then he has a catastrophic injury, a very serious injury. And now his play is probably what? He's at 40, 80%, 70%. I don't know, you know, of what he was. I, he's, so he's imagine how. Moving, I think he's he's like 60, something like that. Okay. So let's say 60%. So where's his confidence? You think it's at 60%? No, it's probably at 20 or 30. You know, it's his frustration is probably at 120. So, you know, mind right, game right. Um, so you're just working on all of those different things with a player to, to understand that, you know, this is where he was. He was feeling now, bang, I land wrong one time and I have frustration. I, I'm, I'm, my confidence is I'm fighting to get my confidence back. I'm fighting to get my play and my body back to where it was. And you constantly kind of compare yourself to where you were. But guess what? You're a new you. You just got to start over. Uh, Jim Molinari, my uh, assistant here at Nebraska, when we were here, and now is with Lon Kruger at OU, former head coach, long time, won 300 games, used to say, comparison is the thief of joy. You know, when you start comparing yourself to who you were or comparing yourself to others, it takes the joy out of everything that goes on. And that's the hardest thing for a guy coming back from injury, to, to get those comparisons out. Let's just take it. Let's live in the moment. Here's where we are now. Here's how we get better now. And it's going to take a long time for you to get back to where you were but we can't compare that to where I am now to where I was. That's unfair because your body's different. Your mindset's different. The speed of the game's different. You, you are a comeback kid. And so let's just fight the good fight, go to work every day. And sometimes when you hear the, the really good 
you know, the Players Tribune or the Athletic or one of those guys, they write about, you know, coming back. I did the rehab every day. They What they're telling you is like, I just did the littlest things to get better. And I didn't know if I was going to get better, you know. And when you look at those things, I think it's really important that you understand that. And so Scott Drew's giving him a chance. And I think he's being fair. And, and that young guy's just trying to get back. But you can't compare yourself to where you were or you'll just be miserable. So you, so in this, if you're, if you're the coach there, you just keep talking to the kid and giving him enough minutes to say, Hey, you're still a part of this. Um, you know, down the road, maybe we use you more. We're going to, we're going to give you enough to try to get your rhythm back and stuff. But um, you know, just, just, it's a long game. And, 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 and that's the hard part is for, for Tristan to get the minutes necessary, you know, to develop further. And when you, don't get the minutes you used to get. Sometimes that frustrates you too. But I think that's something you talk about with not only the player, but the whole team. I think everybody needs to know what we're doing here and we're all dependent on each other. So it's not just an individual conversation. It's a individual conversation and a team discussion. Cool, cool, cool. Well, um, you know, it's, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch because, because that kid has, he's got a lot of ability. Um, You know, he's a great post up guy. But when you when you just can't move like you're used to moving, um, it's it's hard to to play at a level that, that he's used to. And and uh, you know I'm I'm I think I'm with you. I, I think Scott's doing the right thing. Um, you know, giving him enough minutes to to keep his confidence up, um, to say hey, you're still a part of this. But you know, when they get in a big game like they get it against Arizona, he's only playing ten minutes because because honestly, if you watched it, like they they needed to go. In a, in a different direction and, and they did um you know credit to, to scott that he that he noticed that and they were able to, to get a big win there so uh tim gonna gonna get to some twitter questions you ready for some twitter questions i am i am let's go let's go all right so uh we're gonna start off with george washington coach jamie on christian he's got some questions for you good i Which like teams, him he's he's a good dude good dude uh, which teams are you watching most now and who are you studying? Good question. Uh, I'm trying to study the best of the best. So I'm trying to watch the best programs and spend time with guys that I, I've liked. So I'm also doing broadcasting. So I've had a chance to go out and see some Big East teams that I hadn't ordinarily seen. and uh, But I always play keen attention to the Big Ten. Uh, and I'm not afraid to call guys either. Uh, I had a chance this summer to spend – four days with the Utah Jazz, which I found very fruitful. Uh, I had a chance to go observe the Boston Celtics for three days, and I found that very helpful too. I just had a chance to talk with some of their staff guys on how they do things, why they do things, and and those are all really important things. Right now, though, I'm watching most of the teams that I'm going to cover as a broadcaster, and then I'm trying to get their days early so I can watch them practice too. But I always keep close eye on the Big Ten. And, and the big leagues, too, the, the teams I really admire. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, Bill Self does a tremendous job. Uh, and I'll just give you an example. Coach Self, he used to run just the high-low, and he used to have two guys, I mean, that were just, you know, powerful forwards or a center. And now he's kind of four out, one in. He's really changed over the last five years. He had a system in place. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. Then he's had to he's had to change and go to more stretch fours like Josh Jackson and some of those guys, uh, and, and change the way he plays. So I love to see how guys have to adapt to new trends and how they do it and stay good defensively. 
and stay good um, offensively. Usually superior talent helps, Jamian. Uh, so, uh, you know, how, how you know you, you want guys that can be able to make those plays in your league and for your program, certainly. And some of those guys are going to be development guys, but some of them are going to be recruits too. Cool, cool. And with, with, with Kansas, you know, it's, it's interesting. They went into this year thinking they were going to go back to that old school, high-low, two-game. And, you know, you start playing the games and they figure out, well, we're better with small lineups. And, and uh, they've gone back, you know, gone to the four game, playing small most of the time. Um, so, yeah, you know, the thing about small, line, like we all want to. We all want to play big, you know, and the thing about small lineups is that uh, you just find you have more quickness, more ball handling, better passing. Um, and then, and, you know, so the quickness part helps on defense, quickness to the ball, you know, yeah, I mean, where do they get you? Okay. If you're small, you think well, on the boards and they're going to throw it inside and score. Well, you can trap the post, right. And get it out of that guys. And if you're quick, you can get your rotations quicker. So there's not a lot of downside to playing small, you know, and, and I think that that's what coaches over time have kind of realized. And I know we, we played small at different times. Um, and we're more, you know, I remember being 1997, I had an all American that I actually put on the bench when I was a D two coach. Um, so we could go smaller and we won five out of six games. And, um, because we were just playing too big and we were just too methodical. And even though we were big and long, we weren't getting to where we needed to be on offense or defense. So a lot of upside to playing small. That dude's at a bar somewhere. Uh, these days, just cursing you, man. My, I could have been this, but freaking Miles benched me <laughs> to go small. I made him all American the next year. Okay, so he landed on his feet. <laughs> so, so he he hadn't been an all American yet. Right, I got you. Um, exactly. Right, so uh, I knew when to bench him. <laughs> next coach or next question for you. Uh, this comes from Josh Herbers at big red 402 so you can imagine uh, what kind of questions coming here uh what 402 you that's the brass the, the huskers what did you do with all your husker swag and he says loved your energy <laughs> in nebraska coach tell him thank you very much i appreciate that josh so one thing is i would keep like a special piece of um you know, gear, you know, like an NCAA tournament gear or a cool thing that like I designed that I liked that was special to me. So there's probably 10 or 12 pieces that I kept and just put in a Ziploc bag, threw them in a, you know, plastic container and put them in storage, right? Uh, gifts from people that I thought were cool. Um, and then the rest of it, I mean, I, I just gave it away. <laughs> like uh, my camp t-shirts went down to the Matt Talbot kitchen or whatever the, uh, one of the shelters were. Uh, we, uh, uh, I had guys come in and just start giving away stuff. I had these, you know, different things. I had the Nebraska basketball hats. Um, I would give them to a guy. I would give them to anybody. Went out to a golf course. Who wants a hat? And, oh, I'll take a hat. And then I'd sign it first. Um, and it was unique at that time because Fred had been hired. And Doc Sadler had been hired. So I signed it on the far right so Fred could have the middle and that uh, Doc <laughs> could autograph the other side too. So we tried yeah, to have yeah. some fun with it too. But I gave most of it away. And and, um, and then there's a, a piece that we had designed where we honored um, Jerry Bush, who was Fred's grandfather three years previously. And most of Fred's family made that? it up. 
yeah, I was to, there that to honor him. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, so I had some stuff I really hadn't worn, um, but I thought it were very cool throwback stuff. We did. That's one thing at Nebraska. We did an Adidas. We did a lot of really cool uniforms and throwback stuff. And so I just gave that to Fred. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I'm like, Hey, I haven't worn it. I mean, maybe I wore the one shirt one time, but you know, it was a dry fit thing. So just so he had something that he might not ordinarily have to honor his grandfather. I know, um, the administration did a cool thing. Like they gave Fred his grandfather's contract, original contract, which I don't think if you inflated it quite matched up to Fred's, but I think all the same, it's a nice, uh, nice gesture. Nice, nice. Now, did you keep any of your uh, Colorado State stuff? Same, Same thing. thing. Kind of- yeah, I gave some stuff are you, away. Are you are you uh, are you sporting any of that gear nowadays? Because you know, Nico, your boys coaching them. I feel like every once in a while, you should you should bust yeah. out some Rams gear. Yeah, you know, um, what I need to do is uh, bust out some Pius High School gear to support my son, and um, <laughs> and I don't have it. Back today, one of my tasks was to go out and buy a Pius t-shirt or something <laughs> when i go to his game i can have something green on um but uh they're close to my heart even though they're not on my chest yeah there you go there you go the Ram- all right I mean, so the rammies and the, one, this guy one more nebraska question and then and then we'll get to a couple others uh from nitsu ahavi i think is how you say this I'm, I'm not sure on that on that twitter handle what what was your uh favorite moment at pba during your time in Nebraska. Thanks for everything, coach, she says. Yeah, well, thank you um, for for asking. Um, I, I don't think there was anything cooler than no-sit Sunday um, in 2014 when we had to beat Wisconsin at home. Uh, Chris Harriman, my assistant at the time, said, hey, coach, one of my buddies just texted me and said, we should have a no-sit Sunday uh, for the because we had just beat Michigan State at Michigan State and we we're on the bus and everybody's fired up because we know that hey we're close to making the NCA we get in or win in the Big Ten tournament you know I mean I think we're in and uh, so we just started like tweeting it and put it on Facebook and uh, it was just kind of an organic you know uh, a grassroots type of thing and literally the stories you heard like you know an 87 year old man stood the whole uh, and then, uh, there was a, a little old lady that can Sue sat down and she says, and Dama can stand up. <laughs> you know, I mean, just giving him the business. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, at that game, Mike Evans wide receiver, uh, who's a good friend of the Taran Petaway was sitting in the front row and Dama and Sue was in the front row. We had more NFL guys there than we did. I think Danny Woodhead might've been at that game who was playing for, uh, either San Diego at the time or, or the, um, Danny was a big uh, uh, Oscar basketball fan. Um, and Scott Frost, now is, I think, invited him to some of the football stuff, too, because he's retired here in Omaha. But long story short, very cool moment. We won the game. I'll never forget. I, it might have been Ben Brust or um, or the Gasser kid that would uh, Josh Gasser would come by and they're like, Coach, man, I've been everywhere and this is nuts. Like, you know, uh, hey, coach, I was here two years ago. The place was a morgue. This is ridiculous. And when you've got, you know, a team that's about to go to the, what, Sweet 16 or Final Four or whatever they did that year, um, they went to two Final Fours either that year or shortly thereafter. And you got these rock solid, really good players saying, like, you know, during the game, coach, man, this is ridiculous. You guys are doing great. I mean, that meant a lot, too. So I, and I think Bo Ryan, I have a lot of respect for as a coach and the way he runs a program. 
so oh, that was probably the coolest thing. And I, I think the probably the hardest thing that is even more more is as memorable for me. And I kind of lost my mind is that we came back and beat Iowa. And I just lost it. I started bawling my eyes out because quite frankly, it was made clear to me that I was going to be fired probably a year before, you know? And so there was no doubt this was probably my last game in Pinnacle Bank Arena. And I love that place. We opened it and, it and it meant everything to me. And I wanted to raise my family there. And so knowing you're kind of walking out of there, you know, and you're probably not coming back. Now we did. Uh, we had the Butler game uh, and we beat Butler. And then I grabbed the mic and thanked the crowd. And, and that was that was fun, too. I think that exit for me meant a lot to me emotionally uh, because you put so much work into it. And to know you're not, you know, coming back um, was really difficult to go through. But um, but it tells you how much it means to you, really. Well, I got my uh, my first goosebumps moment on the uh, the pod. So good job, Tim. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Cool. Thank you. I'm working on it. <laughs> All right. So a uh, cu- couple more for you, then we'll get out of here. Uh, if you could recoach any game you've been a part of, this comes from um, – Let's see what's his what's his name here. Al Baker at uh, Big Red Bakes eighty eight. If you could recoach any game you've been a part of, which one would it be and why? Wow, that's a long list, my man. Um, pick 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 one game. One game. Should have switched the screen against Kansas late in the game, not to give uh, Mikhailuk the open look. Svezis Mikhailuk. <laughs> he, he knows who he is. That was, a, that was a hell of a game. I, well, I, I call him Sveezus. Yeah. You know, he's I mean, there's just uh, so many my, little things here. Yeah. And we, we, uh, we were up one against Ohio State, I don't know, if the year before, and um, we just we switched all the screens, and, and one of our guys fell down. And, you know, if we don't switch it, maybe he doesn't fall down and the other guy has the action covered and they are – the switch took away the lob and, and, and Ohio state under Thad Mott at the time was great at lobs. So you're like, eh, but you gave him a point blank layup and you just, you know, there's so many little instances, you know, we're beating Wayne state in, in Southwest Minnesota state. And one of our guys hands the ball in and um, maybe should have used a timeout there. I mean, there was just a, there's a billion of them. You know, how, how long does it take you to get over stuff like that? Like, did you, do you let it, do you, well, do some you, of them you just don't sleep that night and, yeah. Some of them. Oh no, you're angry for months. Like you're angry yeah. and sick for months. And, yeah. um, and then finally, you know, you just kind of forget about it. But then uh, when you remember it again, you feel just disgusted, just there's disgusted. Some ass- there's somehow <laughs> some asshole has you on a podcast and <laughs> brings it all yeah. back. Right? Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, hey, uh, I know what I signed up for with you, CJ. I love you, but you know, you, <laughs> you know I mean? Hey, don't get, don't get mad at me. Get mad at Al. You know, <laughs> Al, you're fine. Al was a good question, hard question to answer, but a good one. All right, so Al's uh, probably got, got ten yeah. other ones I haven't even brought. By the way, Al's probably got ten other ones I haven't even brought up. So <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, probably he right. should have said this game. Yeah. yeah. All right, so he's uh, right. So this this next question's from uh, my colleague at the uh, the Athletic, Brendan Quinn. Who, Tim, I'm sure there's coaches out there that like you just watch them or you you watch them execute a game plan or, or something like that. And you're just like, man, I hate that guy. Brennan Quinn's one of those writers that like he writes something. And I'm just like, man, I, I hate myself because that, that dude is talented. He covers Michigan, Michigan state for us. Uh, he's one of the best sports writers in the country. So 
obviously he's got a good question for you here. Uh, in terms of perception versus reality, who's the most misunderstood coach in college basketball? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a good question. There's a lot of guys that pop into my mind, you know, um, uh, you know, so part of me says, ah, oh, Scott Drew. And then I think of, you know, uh, as much as Bob Huggins gets crap, you know, he's really a tough love guy. Uh, yeah, I, I think in the Big Ten, and I'm still kind of a Big Ten homer, uh, Fran McCaffrey, you know, we see Fran's anger, you know, they have the Fran meter and all that. And he's really not. Fran is like one of the best dudes off the floor. He's just so hyper competitive. He was a great player at Penn and even Wake Forest. Uh, and uh, they called him like the White Magic Johnson or something like that. I mean, literally, the dude was a great player. Graduated from the Wharton School of Business. I mean, brilliant, very smart. And worked for Digger Phelps at Notre Dame. And, and just, but I think sometimes he comes off as like he's angry because he's so intense, but he's not like that at all. You know, like, so he, um, my son, like before we played one game, I was late and couldn't, we were supposed to do something on camera for the Big Ten Network. And my son had his, his first um, confession, uh, his reconciliation, we're Catholic. So I couldn't make it. And uh, so Fran, who's Catholic, comes walking out and he says, uh, hey, how'd the little, this is right before the game, because I missed this other event we were supposed to do together, like on camera, you know, an hour and a half earlier. So he comes walking out and he goes, how'd the little guy do? I said, God, he was in there for like five minutes. <laughs> I said, I almost had to knock on the door. And Fran laughed and laughed and laughed. He thought that. So every time he goes, has Gabe getting to, been to confession lately? <laughs> How's it going? Is the kid turning the corner? And um, and we just had a blast with it. You know, just something little like that. But but um, the real com- there's a real camaraderie there with a lot of coaches. And, and, and I think Fran probably comes off as being, um, you know, a little more harsh than he actually is. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. All right, we're going to end on Another this one. Another thing, one more thing, last thing. Uh, yeah. My original name was Brendan, and uh, my parents decided against it, and I went with Timothy Sean instead. So I could have been like a Brendan Quinn Miles, you know? I mean, I was that close. Wow, wow, that's crazy. All right, yeah. so uh, last question from Will Cat at WCAT33 on Twitter. Um, and, I, and I'm lobbing you this one so you can uh, tell one of my, my favorite Timmy stories at the, at the end of it, all right? So what is discussed when conducting an in-home visit, typical day during that recruiting visit? I got a follow-up for you. <laughs> um, well, it depends when you're there, if you're trying to close or if you're trying to introduce. So if you're trying to introduce, you're trying to introduce yourself and your kind of life story and you introduce your program and the university. So, uh, uh, but if you're trying to close, it does, you'll do anything. You know, I mean, like cook, you'll eat rice. Uh, you'll drive in the middle of nowhere. I remember driving in North Dakota one time, uh, and I was literally seven miles from Canada and 11 miles from the Montana border, and I had dr- driven across an open pasture to get to the guy's house. Um and that was uh, just amazing. And the kid was really good. He ended up being a D2 All-American. Uh, and so, I mean, there was no radio station, no nothing. I mean, I was like, I could hit a bull or a cow or a horse or something driving through in the middle of the night here on this. And there's no road, no nothing, just open pasture, for like a mile and a half. So I think just some of the things and places you go, whether it be, you know, there's cities you go through and, and uh, uh, or urban areas or rural places or mansions. Like one time the VP of some 
major corporation in Minneapolis. I walk in and they've got a family painting, like a watercolor portrait of the son and the mom and dad outside with like a dog running and a bird flying. Like it must have cost like a friggin' fifty thousand dollars to have this thing done. It was beautiful in a gold frame. Oh it was just God. like, are you kidding? Like, I am so out of place here. You know, I mean, like. <laughs> You know, uh, I asked for water and they like, uh, you want that uh, spritzer or you want tap water? <laughs> like, yeah, I, don't, I don't know what you even mean. <laughs> so a lot of, a lot of cool moments that way. Who, who, uh, what did you cook? Who, who did you cook for? Uh, like, uh, you, you, like you take over in the kitchen. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, Rick Majerus is, is the king of, um, of, uh, um, of cooking, right? And I forget who I cook for, but it wasn't very difficult. And I might have only stirred the, the sauce, by the way. So, uh, but I wanted to help a little You're bit. You're using one cooking of, liberally. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I didn't. It wasn't my idea. But one of the funny ones was um, I asked a story about um, uh, let's let's call this guy. Uh, I said, "Hey, uh, hey, CJ, you know that's the dad, okay? How'd you meet your wife, um, uh, Sarah, okay?" He goes, well, you know, we were, we were in the dorm together and, uh, I was at, I had come from this community college and I was now at this division two, uh, in the Midwest. And, and I heard this ruckus down the, the wall or down the hall in my dorm room. I was watching this little nine inch TV and he says, uh, um, I heard this ruckus. So I opened my door and there's Sarah and her friend being chased by a guy with a fire extinguisher. So they see me open my door and they bust in and I slam the door and the guy is laughing and he leaves and the girls are laughing and they're wet. And he goes, and we're talking. And about 20 minutes later, uh, Sarah's friend leaves. And nine months later, little Timmy comes along. (laughs) (laughs) And the kid goes, what? 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 (laughs) What? I never told you that story. And, and Sarah was in the kitchen saying, shut up. Like, Stop talking, you, CJ. You know, it was hilarious. Wow, Good. None awesome. of their names. Did you get the kid? The Did you get the kid? Got the kid, man. Got the kid. Oh, priceless. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. nice. There's also, uh, yeah, there's also been some more difficult times. I asked a couple where they met. And that night they told their son they were getting a divorce. And so um, <laughs> guess who didn't get that kid? <laughs> I, <laughs> so, um, oh, that's yeah, I asked when their anniversary uh, was. So- it was like in a week. <laughs> Oh man, that's brutal. Let, let's go out on a happier note. What uh, when you, when I tell you the name Zach Finley, what comes to mind? Oh, Zach Finley, uh, Princeton graduate. Parents were both doctors, mm-hmm. and Saul Phillips and I had been. We had left um, Fargo, and you're we ended in, up in, in Rapid City, South Dakota. Yeah, we're, yeah. So we had made like four visits from. We were in a car just driving. And we, you know, visited a kid here, visited a kid there. And Zach was a good player, ended up being a stretch five at Princeton, went to the NCAA tournament, smart kid, loved him. And it was just obvious from the get-go that Saul and I were outclassed. Like, we are not getting this kid. He's not, I mean, it was just, the family was gracious to meet us. So Saul and I, at driving, we're, you know, we'd put in some music and it was all rap, hip-hop, Eminem, Dr. Dre, just all this stuff, right? So Saul says, hey, Timmy, let's see how many rap lyrics we can work in to the bit, to the presentation, because we're not getting this kid, dude. We are wasting our time. <laughs> so 
I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I say something like, yeah, I'm just walking down the street with a can of gas and a handful of matches. <laughs> you know, I said, oh, forgot about Dre. He's locked in my basement. And, you know, Saul says, uh, uh, it's a jungle in this habitat. You know, I mean, uh, just we go on, like he goes on and on. I worked in a Paul Simon. Uh, there's no instigations or allegations. There's no incidents or allegations against our program. You know, that's a, you can call me out bit. And I mean, and so finally, like, I don't know, you know, we, you know, we, we did a good job. Now, it wasn't incoherent, you know, like I make, make it sound now, but we were just internally laughing our butts off. And finally at the end, I'm ready to leave because I'm going to die laughing. And Saul gives it up. He tells the family what we were doing, <laughs> which they thought was slightly amusing because they're intelligent and we're not. And so, um, but yeah, that was an hour and a half of uh, only trying to create uh, uh, basically a fascinating way for us to get through the hour and a half before we got rejected. I know uh, we're not going to come visit your school. And when, and when I, when I featured you, uh, you know, when I wrote the feature story, you came up to Lincoln and you told me that story. I actually tried to look up Zach Finley on a link, sent him a LinkedIn message, wanted to get a response to that, but, but, but he never, he never wrote me back. So, uh, some, someday maybe we'll get the Zach Finley side of it. See what yeah, it like I hope that. he's erased it from his memory. That's all I hope. You know I mean? It, really, it was a lot a doctor, more uneventful for now, him. Right? He yeah, probably quit listening. He's a doctor now. Yeah. He probably quit listening after about 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that was fun, Ted. That was awesome. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for another fun episode. Uh, and before we leave, we got to remind you all to follow, subscribe, like, rate, all that good stuff. And, and Tim, we got our first uh, we got our first review. I think I should read it, don't you? Well, wait. I don't think you can do it on Spotify. I think you can only do it on iTunes. Just so you know. All right. Well, I got it. Whatever. Let, rate them on. Rate us and review us on iTunes the best you can, and go to Spotify and hit the. Uh, can you do a five star thing on Spotify? I don't think so. No, I don't, not on the app, mobile app. We're, we're just. But I, I follow us. We're I'm too special. There you go. We're, we're, we're pretty special when it comes to technology, but I'm, I'm smart enough to pull up the reviews on on iTunes, and we got one from the Kansas comment who uh, I. Doubt as Gail Sayers, but uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I don't know who it is. It's not my mom. I can tell you that. And this this person says promising early signs in the subject, and then Coach Miles and CJ have a great natural rapport, and Co- Coach brings an interesting perspective from a life on the sidelines. Can't wait for more episodes. So thank you to the Kansas comment. Please send us more uh, feedback. We love we love to hear it. And uh, yeah, so thought and that was bad, thought that was pretty keep, new. If it's bad, just yeah, keep if you think. <laughs> if you think we suck, just hit the five stars and move on with your life. So, uh, but but keep subscribing. You know, and maybe let it play in the background when you're trying to put your kid to sleep. Yeah, just like just start it, fast forward it if you can. I don't even know if you yeah, can do it. Uh, yes, I, I, I think you know you can. You can you can you can fast forward. You can you can scroll it on. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take it. But uh, all right, Tim. So we'll be back on Thursday with another edition of Miles More Madness. Thanks for joining us. See you later. See ya.